Today, I'm so excited because I have the honor to talk about this uh, idea, this theme of hospitality. Everyone say hospitality. hospitality. Thank you. Now, when we hear hospitality, uh, here, here's what I do know. I know that we, uh, in our modern day understanding of hospitality, it's very easy to be like, well, yeah, hospitality, like when you go to, say, a restaurant, you know when there's good hospitality, and you know when there's not so good hospitality. If you ever stay at like a hotel, you know when it's like the hospitality was really great or it was really not so great. Our modern day context, this is really easy to identify this concept of hospitality because why? Hospitality truthfully is like a multi-billion dollar industry with hotels and Airbnbs and, you know, rent-a-car services and all these different things. The restaurant business is multi-billion, trillion, whatever it may be. I didn't look that stat up, but you know where I'm going, right? And we know, like, if you ever say you rented, like, a car, you know when that, that experience was good or you know when it was bad. You know if you walk into a restaurant, say you're there with your friends and family, walk up to the front, and there's a host desk, and the host or the hostess is just kind of not there, and you're kind of, like, standing around, like, what do I do? And then you see someone walk by. Maybe they even look at you, and then they keep going. Like, you're standing there. You're, you know what goes through your head, like, this place is terrible. This is trash. Like, I, what, this is terrible customer service. This is terrible hospitality. So the first thing you do when you sit down, finally, maybe the waiter or waitress comes over, like, what do you, are you guys going to want some water or something? What do you guys want? <laughs> and then when they walk away, you look at each other in the eyes, you're like, this is some terrible, what? Hospitality. We, we can recognize it easily now, but I want to make sure we kind of pull it back a little bit and uh, talk about when it comes to seventh floor culture. I'm reading this book called Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. Because I think when we think about this idea of hospitality in our context, it, it doesn't necessarily line up. Because even when it comes to hospitality in our Christian tradition, what it was originally written into when it came to the gospel, Christine Pohl writes in her book that hospitality was fundamental, was a fundamental expression of the gospel. This wasn't just like, let's have people over for dinner. Or let's just go out and have some, have some drinks and have some time together. No, it was like fundamental for the expression of God's good news in the earth. Are you with me this morning? And this is what hospitality can do. This is what hospitality can unlock. So this is what I'm going to talk about this morning. I'm going to take us to Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 13. Jesus is walking from one town to the next. And he comes across this tax collector named Matthew. Let me get my big old Bible open up. You guys have it on the, on the screen, so we'll just, yep. Are you with me now? Matthew chapter 9, 9 through 13. Again, like I said, Jesus is going from one village to the next, and there's tax booths where there's tax collectors there taxing people as they travel from one space to the next. And this is where we kind of pick up. As Jesus passed from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he rose and followed him. Now, quick pause, because this happens super fast in the scriptures. Jesus crossing from one town to the next, and he comes across his tax collector named Matthew. Just to be a tax collector, like, what was going on here? These guys weren't, like, really, um, they didn't really enjoy these people if you're in Rome. Like, these, these weren't, like, your best friends. What tax collectors were able to do is they could basically steer, steal from you as you're traveling from one town to the next. 
that there was a requirement for the taxes for the Roman government, but then they would actually like tax you even more. Why? So then they could pocket all your money. These were the crooks and the misfits of society. They did not like these people. And yet, who does Jesus go to? This tax collector named Matthew. He says, hey, follow me. And Matthew gets up and he starts following Jesus. Now, again, it jumps really fast here to verse uh, 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, Matthew basically invites Jesus over with all of his buddies. He's like, hey, why don't you come over to my crib? We'll have some food. We'll have some drinks. We'll have a good time. We're going to hang out. This is what happens in the story. Jesus is reclining at this table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. So Jesus brings his disciples with him. The scripture is telling us that tax collectors and sinners were there. Oh, man, this is a terrible party. Bunch of heathens. You don't want to be at this type of party. And yet Jesus is at Matthew's house. Tax collectors and sinners. Other translations say crooks, misfits, and lowlifes. And like I said earlier, people in this region would have looked at tax collectors as absolute traitors to their region. These guys were the worst of the worst, the lowest of society. And Jesus is at their house with Matthew and all of his friends. This is who Jesus is hanging out. And where is he at? He's right here at a table having table fellowship with people that he should never, ever cross paths with. And this is where Jesus is. And when the Pharisees saw this, now Pharisees, these religious elites, they knew everything what to do. And they were like, no, this guy's not okay. Something's wrong with this Jesus character. So they pulled Jesus' disciples aside because they didn't have the courage to talk to Jesus. They pulled the disciples aside. Say, hey, um, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? It's almost like, does he not know that those are like the worst of the worst? Like you don't hang out with these traitors? Are you, are you, do you know who you're following? This guy is sitting at a table with the worst of the worst of society. Y'all, do you know what you just committed your life to? He's sitting with tax collectors and sinners. But when Jesus has heard it, he said, don't you love when Jesus is, it's almost like that was happening over there. But somehow, you know, because he's God, he just knows everything. He's like, he just turns to him. He says, hey, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. So Jesus is where? He's at a table at Matthew's house. All of his buddies are there. All these horrible sinners and tax collectors. And Jesus is sitting at a table with these folks. And there's this level of hospitality I think you and I can learn when it comes to what it looks like, what it means about table fellowship and sitting at a table with folks that maybe don't look like us or think like us or whatever it may be. So today, let's talk about hospitality. Let's pray real fast. God, thank you for today. I pray that you would uh, illuminate these stories, illuminate the scripture, illuminate your son. God, maybe walk out of this place today more aware of what it looks like to be people of hospitality. Because God, we believe that is a fundamental expression of your good news, of your word in the gospel. So God, I pray you do that today. And dear Lord, um, I don't know, the Bears need a victory. It'd be really great if you gave us one. Okay, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, here's the thing. If you said amen, 
You, you have to believe it. I don't even care if you're a Packer fan or a Viking fan. Did you say amen to my prayer? Dang it. All right. That's okay. Hey, here, here's, here's the thing. What I've realized is every single person in this room, uh, every single person in this room, and we can only say this maybe in like certain chunks of our history in life. Every single person in this room is, uh, can relate to, to one thing. Uh, well, a few things, but that sounded really dumb. But here's one thing we can, it's like, you can relate to breathing. Okay, great. Here's something we can relate to. March of 2020 was crazy. All of 2020 was nuts. 2021 was kind of crazy. It's always kind of crazy, but let's just be honest. You, you and I, let's, let's, can we just have like family time today? We went through a global pandemic. Wow, no one really responded. I thought maybe we were going to, hey. Yeah, we did. And I know, and, and here's the thing. I'm not trying to poke at what, what COVID uh, did do and is con- and even continually doing, but I want us to have like an understanding. We went through like this crazy pandemic that I remember getting the call that I didn't have to go into work and, and here's why. And then you're watching the news and now you're like kind of talking to folks like, is this happening where you are? There's like 13 cases, 28 cases, 142 cases. There's a thousand cases. There's all these different things. You're like, maybe I shouldn't go out. Right? Like, and then the toilet paper crisis happened. Yeah. See, I know I get some feedback on that. And I remember being like, Hey honey, do we have enough toilet? Do we, I says, what if, what if there is none? Like, what do we use a sock? I don't even know what's happening. Like this is, and maybe that happened to you. I'm not really sure. But I remember being like, oh, uh, thankfully we did just, I mean, look at God's grace. We just got a, a huge thing of toilet paper. So we were set for, for a while. I don't know. Someone just clapped. That was great. That's it guys. Thanks for coming today. So I remember that. I remember it came to a point where like, you need, where's hand, how do you even get hand sanitizer? I don't even, I, I thought about it, but now I think I need gallons of it. I, I think it, once the door opens, I need it in my car. I need it in the bathroom. I need it every single place. I need gallons of this stuff and I need pumps. Like it wasn't just a little droplet. I needed pumps of it all over my entire body. This is what hand sanitizer. And then yeah, Lysol wipes. Those disappeared. So that was great. Glad everyone just bought those off the shelf, forgot, you know, about their neighbors. So then now we're like, why do you even wipe things down? It got to a point where we ordered groceries, we would wipe down groceries. Was that just me? Did everyone else do that? Because you were like told you should probably wipe down your potato chips and bread. So we're like getting groceries delivered to our house. And then you have to like walk out there and barely touch them and you bring them in. And we had, my wife and I, we had one spot was, was new groceries and this over here was wiped down groceries. We did not want to make a mistake. They had to go through the whole process. Everything had to get wiped down. The eggs, everything, you name it. Now, I mean, things taste a little different when you put hand sanitizer on, but that's okay. But we were so, like, diligent, and everything had to be wiped down. We're not getting this thing anywhere near us. And then I remember uh, we were asked, you know, everyone's got to mask up. This is new. When in my life, other than Halloween, was I wearing a mask outside or going anywhere? And then you couldn't even find them. Do you remember this? You couldn't even buy them. They were like sold out. What does that mean? I didn't even know these things were even sold. Unless you worked in the medical field, you had to have certain masks. Okay, great. So then I remember getting like masks shipped to me by my dad, and I didn't know that they were from him, and they were like these weird-looking masks. I'm like, I need to wear these things now. So you go to the grocery store. Wherever you go, you have to wear these masks. And then I remember because those were so sold out, 
this is kind of poke fun at a little bit of, of what was happening during COVID. I found some pictures on the internet of, of people getting a little creative when it came to their masks. Because this is, this is some serious stuff and being sanitized. So this guy is on the subway. And I don't know. Is that a, it's like a big thing, a gallon water thing. Anyway, so that was, that's one way to do it. I don't know if that's safe or not, but that's, that's one way. There's another guy in the grocery store, I think. He's got a foot, I know you can't really see it. He's got goggles and a snorkeler. Now, if you were able to zoom in, he put like a tissue at the top of the snorkeler because you don't want those, those COVIDs coming in. And he's got his look, gloves on. This guy, look, safety first. You know what I mean? He's ready. The, yeah. the last one, this was great. This is at the airport. She is decked out, ready, hazmat suit and everything. What I love about this picture, she still has her heels on though. Because, come on now. I mean, if I'm wearing a whole hazmat suit in the airport, I'm probably going to just wear tennis shoes. But she's got her heels on. Now, now look, obviously I'm kind of poking fun at this because, again, like I said, all of us have experienced this together. We experience social distancing. We experience wearing masks, not wearing masks. We experience making sure everything was sanitized. I never thought about how many seconds I need to wash my hands a day in my life. But after they said, you better wash for 20, I'm washing for like 50 because I'm like every single piece of this has to come off my hands. I'm telling my kids, I'm like, you better get in that bathroom, you better wash those hands and your face and your feet and your whole entire body before you come out here. Like we took it to the extreme and, and we can relate on this stuff. And again, we're, we're, we're kind of having fun with it. But I thought about my concern is that this could actually happen to us permanently in, in our everyday life. What I mean by that is that we, we live in this kind of proverbial social distance well, hey, we, we don't want to be near those people. We can't be near them. I don't want to get infected by that. We proverbially will kind of put our masks on because we don't want to catch anything from anybody else. We make sure we like get hand sanitized up before we walk into certain places or before we know we have to go somewhere because I don't want to catch what that person has or who those people are because if I get anywhere near those people, what if it gets on me? What if I become infected? So I just will do one thing. I'm just going to stay away from everybody and do my own thing all the time. And yet we see Jesus sitting at a table with tax collectors, low lives, misfits, and sinners. And he goes over there and he says, Hey, I want to have a party with you, Matthew. Let's hang out. And I want you to bring all your friends and make sure that they are welcomed as well. And then the religious elite, the Pharisees are like, how dare he? Who is he? A rabbi to sit with tax collectors and sinners. A rabbi's not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to be doing that to, with other people. This guy broke code. Jesus has his followers. He brings his disciples along with them, and they're questioning almost his character and his integrity. Why? Because he's at a table, oh dear God, with sinners, misfits, and lowlifes. And like I said earlier, the craziest part about this is when you think about this idea of, of, of tax collectors in the context of it in that time, I'm telling y'all, the fact that Jesus Christ, a Jewish rabbi, would have spent time with the lowest of society, it's almost screaming to you and I how much God absolutely wants to redeem every single person in creation forevermore. That Jesus would hang out with those people. Amen. So here's Jesus at a table 
reclining, having a meal, breaking code as if there was one, as if he wasn't there at creation, (laughs) breathing life into you and me, spending time with the lowest of the lows, the misfits and sinners and tax collectors of society. And here's where Jesus finds himself. Let me tell you another story. In the book of Luke, there's a story where Jesus is invited to another party. Now he's invited by Simon, the Pharisee. And Jesus goes to this party where the religious elite are gonna hang out. And Jesus is gonna go and he's gonna sit at a table. Again, find himself at a table with some folks who think just like the last guy, the Pharisee saying, how dare he? He's sitting now at this table. And this woman walks in. Scriptures tell us that he's a, she's a woman of the night, i.e. she's a prostitute. Coming to Simon the Pharisee's house, she comes in, sits behind Jesus. It says that she has this anointing oil and she breaks it and she opens it up and pours it on his feet. This woman is now crying at the feet of Jesus, tears dripping from her eyes onto Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. This is a scene that no religious leader, no Pharisee ever would have ever seen. And here's what's taking place. And wouldn't you know it, Simon the Pharisee thinks to himself, oh man, dinner was good, but this is terrible. If Jesus even knew who this woman was, he would be appalled. This is a prostitute touching and kissing his feet in my house with Jesus, the rabbi. And look what Jesus says. Luke seven forty four says this. He turns towards the woman, but he says to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Now, I'm going to point out what's taking place here with Jesus and why this is important for you and for me. Jesus is at this table with the religious elite. Simon the Pharisee feels his kind of way. And Jesus calls out not his hypocrisy. He doesn't even nail the fact that like, hey, she's a sinner. She's getting forgiven. You think you're righteous. You're self-righteous. You're out. Jesus points out some things. He says, hey, you didn't wash my feet when I walked in. You didn't give me a kiss when I walked in. You didn't anoint me when I walked in. You want to know what Jesus is pointing out? His lack of hospitality. Because remember, in Jewish custom, in this type of day, in scripture, it would have been a custom to walk into someone else's home and the hospitality was a part of their livelihood. It was a part of who they were. Washing the feet of a guest would have been what they do. It was unheard of if they didn't do this. A kiss of greeting was required. All these different things that Jesus is calling out. Jesus is saying, hey, Simon, you are not living up to the standard of hospitality that you're supposed to. 
Yet this woman that you're so critical of, a sinner, has done everything that you were supposed to do. Jesus is calling out the fact there's no hospitality in this home. This is why this idea of hospitality is incredibly important and valuable for us, you and I, to understand. Jesus is at the table in one story with the misfits and the sinners. And then Jesus sits at a table with the religious elite. And all of it is encoupled with people of hospitality. Christine Pohl writes this in her book. She said, table fellowship was an important way of recognizing the equal value and dignity of persons. Table fellowship, sitting at tables, it's an important way of recognizing that there's equal value and there's dignity of persons. Doesn't matter what their background is. Doesn't matter even what their religious allegiance is. Doesn't matter in our context who they maybe voted for. It doesn't matter the color of their skin or their ethnicity. This is a value of looking at their value as a person and their dignity as a person. And this is what Jesus would have been modeling all throughout the gospel messages. Jesus is sitting at a table with misfits and sinners. And now Jesus is sitting at a table with the religious elite. Because he's sitting with anyone and everyone. Amen? Amen. So if this is how Jesus lived his life, how do we then follow that example? What does this require of us when it comes to this type of hospitality? So now here's our kind of homework for us to understand. And even Christine Pohl writes this in her book. You learn hospitality by... Doing it. Wow, Trev, that was good. That was mind-blowing. It's like, you want to know how to read a book? Read a book. It's like, this is simple stuff. You want to know how to learn hospitality? Do it. And you know what's funny? You'll mess it up. You'll make mistakes. You'll choose the wrong playlist. What is playing? Don't worry about it. We'll change that. It, but how do you learn it? You do it. So I want to talk about this idea of practicing hospitality. What does it look like to practice hospitality? Now, I was, uh, I was in band when I was in junior high. Um, clearly not in band now. There's a lot of reasons why. But in junior high, I think everyone's in band. It's like you're just given an instrument. Like, what do you want to play? Clarinet? Great. You're doing it. Do you know how to play this thing? No. Do you know how to hold it? Doesn't matter. I was in band, I remember it was like fifth, sixth grade, and I was able to actually select the instrument that I want to play. Trombone, nah. Trumpet, I'm cool. Saxophone, count me in. Why? Because the saxophone is sexy. Let's just call it what it is. <laughs> Looks cool. You look cool when you're doing it. You may not be good at it, doesn't matter. So I play the saxophone. Now, obviously, when you first start playing, you know like three, are they called chords? Chords. Chords? Chords. Three or four of those. You, know, you got to figure out how to hold it. It's down here. Obviously, I have the microphones. So I got Okay. You guys get the idea. And we played, you know, Mary Had a Little Lamb. Crushed that one. <laughs> row, row, row your boat. Nailed it. But then we started playing some, uh, you know, really difficult things. And I, uh, my mom, she actually put me in uh, saxophone lessons right up the road, downtown Beloit, Wisconsin. I would go there on Saturdays and do uh, saxophone lessons. Now, I didn't do a lot of these lessons because it truly wasn't that good. 
But I remember going to these lessons, and then when it came to like the time where my music teacher had all of us in the room, in our music room, and I was off to the side, and I graduated from alto sax to tenor sax. No clue why, just did it. Yeah, there you go. There's a tenor sax player here. And I didn't know what, how to read the sheet music. I don't even know what this stuff is. I don't know what's in front of me. It looks neat, but I have no clue. Because the truth is, I didn't really practice. So I'm there one of the times, I remember like it was yesterday, I'm sitting there playing my saxophone, not really knowing what I'm doing, they're playing their whole thing, and I'm looking at where my part is, I'm like, I don't know where to go from here, but I'm just going to play the lowest note, because it sounds right, when, when it sounds like it should be played, and it's like, they're playing their songs, and beep, 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 beep whatever you know, the song was, and then it would come to me, I'd be like, two, three, four, eight, one, two, three, and it just sounded, it made sense how the whole thing was happening. And then the teacher was like, hold on, hold on, hold on. who's doing that? <laughs> What's the problem? They'd go again. Now, like I said, I didn't really amount to much when it came to playing the saxophone. I quit pretty quick. But what was lacking for me in doing this was what? It's practice. It just simply was practicing playing the saxophone. Because I didn't practice, I didn't have a clue what to do. I didn't know how to read the sheet music. And I thought about it. Just because I went to a lesson or two did not qualify me as someone who knew how to actually play saxophone. And I think for us... We come to spaces like this, or maybe you attend one hangout. We are convinced that like, oh yeah, I know hospitality. I know how to throw these parties. I know how to get people in here. I know why this is important. And why? Because Christine Pohl said, like I said earlier, because it is a fundamental expression of the gospel. So we hear this stuff. We take it into consideration. We see tables on stages. We're like, yeah, I can bring people over. I know exactly what to do. But if we don't consistently practice it and get better and better at it, and if we don't put people around the table that don't look like us, think like us, vote like us, we're not really going to know how hospitality actually works. So this idea of practicing hospitality. So I'm going to give you three tools, three ways to practice hospitality. I hope you have your notes out. If not, just write it on the neighbor's arm next to you. That's okay. Three ways. We'll put them on the screen, then I'll break all three down, and then we'll head out. Three ways. Set the table. Share your life, seek to understand. Set the table, share your life, seek to understand. Number one, set the table. Now, I, say, I, I share two stories of Jesus sitting at these tables. And as Parks even talked about last week, you see Jesus at tables all the time. Now, setting the table isn't necessarily literally setting tables, even though that is a part of it. You're proverbially setting, table, proverbially setting tables all over your life. It's like this idea of making space and making room for others. You're creating space for safety. You're setting the table. You're setting the tone. You're setting the environment. So us as followers of Christ, this idea of setting the table, this idea of radical hospitality or practicing hospitality, may we be people who set tables. And as you set tables, here's what I've learned. You set tables and you almost kind of like get out of the way. Let's just see what wants to happen at these tables, at these times where we're communicating, having conversations around whatever may happen. And like Park said last week, if Christ is at the center of this table, anyone and everyone is welcome at this table. Regardless, you're having conversations. 
This is what setting the table means. You're creating spaces. You're creating room for people to connect. You're setting the table. And this is what's interesting about this. If you read all through the Old Testament, there's these laws that are actually put in place that the Israelites were actually commanded to bring in sojourners and immigrants and welcome them with a meal. Sojourners and immigrants and people who weren't like them, they were required to bring people in and have a meal, in a sense, setting tables. And yet today, in our context, we're like, they don't belong here. They can't sit with us. They don't think like us. And Jesus is commanding us, even in the New Testament, by example, saying, no, 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 no. I sit at all tables. I'm making sure everyone's welcome to these tables. Amen? We're required to set these tables. I was thinking about even for us, if you walk in here at Four City Church at this campus, what do you see when you walk in? Signs, greeters, coffee, donuts, people. Thank you all. Well, hopefully there's people. Couches, chairs. And I think for some of us, it's like, man, why, why, why are there always so donuts and coffee? Is that really important? Friends, let me speak to this from this campus pastor level. Absolutely, it's incredibly vital. Why? Because you're setting the table for anyone and everyone to walk in to feel like they're safe, seen, and heard. Whatever we do, that's why we do it. So if someone comes in and there's no greeter, I don't feel welcomed. If there's nothing there in a sense to make me feel safe or comfortable, then I don't feel that I I can actually walk into this space. Water and coffee, yeah, maybe we're just using water and coffee, but that's the very thing that may bring them to a space where they're pouring their coffee and maybe someone talks to them. Next thing you know, they found some fellowship. Hey, do you have anybody to sit by? Nah, I came alone this week. Well, you know what? This week, you don't get to sit alone. You get to sit with me because this is a place of hospitality. Amen. That's why we do it. We're setting the table. Every single week, this is why we do it. And I pray I pray that as we set tables on Sunday, may it inspire you to set tables on Monday or on Tuesday and so on and so forth in your own life. We don't come into a space just to listen and hear and sing songs on a screen and then go home and that's it. No, no, no. Hospitality has to ooze out of this place. In your life, in your family, in your neighborhood. Knock on your neighbor's door once in a while and get to know who they are. Do they bother you? Great. Mow their lawn. Man, you don't understand. My neighbor's the worst. Great. Show her the walk. Live this thing out. We come in a space like this and, oh, yeah, I believe it. Hands raised. This is awesome. Worship is great. This is like an hour and a half of your week. But we are commanded to set tables, sit at tables, be people of hospitality. Amen? Number two. Man, that one got me fired up. Number two, share your life. Share your life. I think for for some of us in the room, there's some like wall that we consistently put up because if I share a little bit of my life, someone's going to judge it. They're going to talk about it. I don't want to share that part of my life. I don't want to share my life. What I love about Paul, Paul is, is planting all these churches. He plants this church in uh, Thessalonica, and he writes them. First Thessalonians 2, verse 8 says this. One of my favorite scriptures. It's going to be on the screen like that. Boom. This is Paul, the apostle, says, because we loved you so much. Man, Paul loved this church in Thessalonica. 
spent time with them, did life with them. It says this, we, because we love you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but what? Our lives as well. I love this verse. Because you and I have a struggle with this. If I, I'm only required to really share the gospel and nothing else. And yet here's Paul. He's saying, no, no, I was delighted to share the gospel, this good news. We had bread-breaking time at tables. We had a good time. And man, it was amazing. I was delighted to share my life with you. I was delighted to share the good news. I was delighted to share my life. So what would it look like if you and I began to share not only the gospel, but we began to share our life, good, bad, and the ugly? Oh, no, Trev, I can't do that. No, no, if you only knew. No, no, that's fine. Share your life. What, what would happen if we became people, became people that put all of our walls down, of our, all of our insecurity walls we put up, and we just became so secure in who we were because this is who God called me to be? That God rescued me from that, and God's dealing with me with this, but I'm going to consistently share my life with people because I find delight in sharing my life. I found that these are the greatest moments, sitting at tables, sitting in living rooms, sharing my life with folks. And even that, in that verse, 1 Thessalonians 2, 8, the, this term of sharing and being delighted was uh, Paul basically saying, I was delighted in being closely attached to you. Who are you closely attached to right now? Who are you sharing your life with? And who, if you began to share your life to, that God could begin to open up a whole new world for you, things you can't even fully understand. Number three, last one, and I'll close with a story, is seek to understand. Friends, this is the hardest one for me. Why? Because I think we get so trapped in our own world. I have my own belief system. I have my own echo chambers. To try to understand you means I have to take a risk. I have to step out of my own comfort zone. And St. Thomas of Assisi says this, St. Francis of Assisi says this, seek to understand rather than to be understood. Could you imagine if we were people that sought to understand others rather than you always need to be understood? They don't understand me. They don't get where I'm coming from. They don't know who I am. Great. Try to understand them, understand their world, understand their life. Create space for this, right? Seeking to understand, becoming people of hospitality. And truly this will become one of the most uncomfortable and yet rewarding things that you and I do as followers of Christ. Set tables, share your life, seek to understand. Let me close with this story that I came across earlier this week, and then we'll end. There's this pastor in Cordova, Tennessee. And I think that's right. That sounds right. Cordova, Pastor Steve. He was a pastor of this church called Heart Song Church in Cordova. And he said he was reading the paper one morning and he saw that there was a lot of 30 acres that was just purchased by the Memphis Islamic Center. And it was gonna be right across from their church. 30 acres, this massive center for Islamic worship. Christian pastor, Islam, seven years ago. And he said, as a pastor, he had to like check his heart. What do I do here? I, I don't know, even know how to really respond to this. 
and began to read through the gospels more and more and began to say, oh, I know what to do. We welcome every single new neighbor to our neighborhood. So instead of raising a fit about it, he put this banner up right in front of his church. It read, Heartsong Church welcomes Memphis Islamic Center to the neighborhood. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, 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 you can't do that. You can't be with those people. You can't sit with those folks. Do you understand who they worship? They don't worship the same God. No, that's, 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 we welcome everyone to the neighborhood. So he puts this sign out. Some of his congregants get a little frustrated and angry. Some things that Pastor Steve was talking about. Some things that Pastor Steve was letting happen. One of these congregants began to process with his wife. He comes up to Pastor Steve and says, hey, I don't know if we like this church any longer. I think we might actually leave. And he says, can I just challenge you to read through the gospel stories? This this congregant takes it home, takes on the challenge, reads through the gospel. He's recorded to say, I realized the sickness was not out there. It was in here. The sickness wasn't out there. It was in here. I had to repent. I had to face the reality that I wasn't truly following the actual gospel. So now they're gonna break ground with Dr. Bashar and Pastor Steve. Dr. Bashar is gonna break ground for the Islamic, Memphis Islamic Community Center, but they didn't break ground in time for Ramadan. Whole entire month of fasting and praying. They don't have a space to do this. What does Pastor Steve do? Just use our space. Come in our church. And for a whole entire month, the Memphis Islamic Center, we're worshiping and praying and having community in Heartsong Church for a month. And then it didn't stop there. They broke ground. And Pastor Steve and Dr. Bashar became friends. Then they started doing blood drives together during the annual uh, September 11th. They started doing blood drives together. People of Islam and people of, that are Christian giving blood together for people in the earth today. Then they had Thanksgiving parties together outside, both communities coming together at tables, eating, communing, breaking bread, Now every single spring, they have a huge spring block party. Memphis, Islamic Center, Heartsong Church, together, doing life, breaking bread. Friends, this is the gospel. This is why we do what we do. This is the power of hospitality. It's so easy to say, nope, nope, get away. You put those proverbial masks on, make sure I got my hand sanitizer, nope. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I sit at tables with everybody. Just set the table. Why don't you just share your life? Seek to understand. Your life will be so much bigger and greater and grander if you begin to become people of hospitality. When you become the people who begin to live a life of hospitality. So our challenge, our challenge, you and me, to ask yourself, what would it look like if I became a person who set tables, share my life, and begin to seek to understand others?
that we don't run from these things, but we run towards these things. Amen? Just stand on your feet. I'm gonna pray for you. And we'll close. God, I ask you in a moment like this to remind us what your son did, Jesus. Inviting himself to sinners and tax collectors parties. And then sitting with religious elite, self-righteous people. God, I pray that we'd be reflective this morning in this space and as we walk out. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to be people who set tables, to make room, begin to share our life with others. God, help us to seek to understand. We put down our own walls, seek to understand others. God, may we follow Jesus in every single area of our lives. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name. And every single person said, amen. Amen. We love you, Four City.